Um, where we are is chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 32. We're working on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. As I've noted, the greatest sermon ever preached. Um, God's been quiet for a couple hundred years, and this is the first thing God has to say to all of us. So it's worth listening to. Uh, it says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. We're talking about what we're praying for, uh, our needs, uh, the, the, you know, food, shelter, clothing, all those things. And it also addresses somewhat our wants. Um, so Jesus is moving on. He says, don't worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothes? It says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need, a big word is need, all of these things. Uh, there's a couple things about this. First off, Gentiles refers to basically anyone that doesn't know God. Um, you know, non-Jews, but of course that would be just about everybody that doesn't know God. Uh, you know, we live in a world where Christianity has become very large and uh, but in that case, there are no Christians yet. <laughs> it's just Jews, uh, and a few gen and a few Gentiles who, you know, converted to Judaism, and even they are Jews. Uh, they don't know God, and the big part of this is they don't know Him as Father, uh, because Jesus throws in the word Father to give us a little bit of comfort. And I just thought I would also make the point that right now, every time Jesus throws in the word Father, there's a concerted effort in Christianity to take the word Father out. Um, once again, I understand what their point is. I agree with the problem that they're saying. Their solution I don't agree with. But you don't change God, you change people. Uh, so, and how many times in here, Jesus is saying you should be okay with this because he's your father. Um, so if you don't have a good father reference in your life, that's a little rougher. So if you have a great father figure, then you could use that as a reference. If you have a bad father figure or a less than great father figure, uh, you could use that as the opposite of that. But if he wants you to feel that. He wants you to feel that it's somebody who really cares about you and your well-being. That's why he uses the term. It's why he uses a family term. And it's been a long time since I said it, but once again, I'll say it. Uh, we were created in a family unit to understand God. It, it, it's a created metaphor. Uh, it is almost impossible for us to understand God without the terms uh, father, you know, child, daughter, son, marriage, betrothed, wife, groom, bride, all these things are how we understand our relationship to God. So my advice is always is don't let people change it. If there's something we're doing wrong and how we're treating basically women, then we should change that. We don't need to change God. We need to do the research and learn what God says and teach it properly. But I guess it's just easier to just change it for people. So anyway... And as far as the father thing goes, it's in here everywhere. You know, when, he's, when, when we ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you want us to pray to you? Uh, Jesus said, began with, our father. <laughs> that's what he, he's, what do you want to hear from us? And he says, well, that's what I want you to say. Or, you know, acknowledge this. 
and now we're saying, well, Jesus had it wrong. He didn't understand because it was a different time. Uh, I, I wouldn't let yourself go there. Don't let anybody sway you on that. Um, Psalms 103, 13 through 14, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. See, if you have an understanding of a father who's forgiving, a father who wants what's best for you, then this is simple. Uh, if you didn't have one, this is what your father should have been. Uh, that's the best I can do for you. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we're dust. A father knows their child. They know their limitations. They know they're going to fail. They get it. Um, they just deal with it. Malachi three sixteen through uh, 18. Or as Pastor Pete, the Italian pastor, told me, Malici, he called him. Uh, those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. Thanks, Frank. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And the book of remembrance is written before him. For those who fear the Lord, who esteem his name, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Uh, <laughs> well, first off, we all need spared. There's a lesson there. And the reason he spares us is because he loves us like a father loves a son. So you will, again, distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one and one who serves the God and the one who does not serve him. Moving on to verse 33. So Jesus throws in a word that says, but, you know, God will supply all these things, you know, because he's your father, because he loves you. But uh, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. You see, once you're in the kingdom, then the kingdom should dominate your thoughts and your desires. I get it for the people who aren't there. For the people who don't know the Lord, I, I understand it. I mean, they're, they're trying whatever comes along to find meaning and hope. But for us, the kingdom is what matters. Everything else is things. Everything else is expendable. Uh, ask yourself, what do I seek the most? If I could have anything, what would I choose? And that's an answer you need to spend a little time on. You need to just get by yourself. Because we all want to answer that with the answer we should answer with. But what's the truth? You know, what? And the way to find that truth is, well, what are you actually pursuing right now? What do you think about the most? What, you know, what, what do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your mental and emotional energy on? And... Sometimes that's a little disappointing when you come to the realization. Uh, if I could have anything, what would I choose? What do I want the most? What you want the most is what you worry about the most. And uh, what you worry about the most is what's most important to you. Uh, so it's important to know if we're not seeking the kingdom first. Because then we can go to him and say, Father, help us. You know, I'm, I'm wasting time here. Uh, that precious time that God gives us on this planet, you know, that little bit from here to here, it, it you're you're wasting it if it's not focused on the kingdom. It's it's, I mean, God uses it, but it would be much better if it was focused on the kingdom. So we come to verse thirty-four, and he says the magic word. So don't worry about tomorrow. You have a father that loves you. Seek first the kingdom. Stop thinking about that stuff. So stop worrying. 
he's just working his way through it about tomorrow. And then he tells, if you weren't worried about tomorrow yet, then he says this, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what he's saying is, don't try to hurry to tomorrow because tomorrow is not going to be a whole lot different than today. Uh, this life is full of trouble. We are separated from God by sin. How could we expect anything else? Deal with what's in front of you right now. It's not saying don't plan for your future. It doesn't say that. It's saying don't worry about your future. Or if you're going to get what you want because you will always get what you need, um, do everything you can that is yours to do to assure your future, to make tomorrow better. After you've done everything you could do, let it go. Uh, play the game according to God's rules because you cannot make him play by yours. You just can't. And we keep trying to create a theology where we can, and it's not there. This portion of the teaching ends with an ominous truth about the temporal life. Tomorrow will bring new troubles, and the old ones may still be there when the new ones come. Uh, life is not easy. I can't sit and, and look at this screen and look at Frank and tell you tomorrow's going to be a wonderful day. I'll just tell you God's going to be there with you. And he will bring good out of it. Um, this is one tough place. And this sermon by Jesus Christ can help all of us get through it victoriously. It's one of the purposes of this sermon. Is that, I mean, God hasn't spoken to us for a couple hundred years. He shows up and he tells us this. Because uh, he knows us. And he wants us to not worry. I mean, because he cares. So, hey, we finished a chapter. Whoa. Notice how fast this goes when Mikhail and Meyer are here? Um, yeah, thanks, Frank. Uh, chapter 7. So this is, by the way, these chapter, we put them in there. This is still the sermon. So he changes tack once again. And he says, uh, do not judge, so you will not be judged. The sermon continues. Jesus is still using, well, don't forget this fact. A lot of what he's saying is addressing false teaching. And the false teaching and uh, the false ideas about God, what's important and what's not, are coming from the religious leaders. Uh, they're pastors. I can't put it another way. Uh, you know, this, we say scribes and Pharisees, but we could easily say pastors, preachers, and bishops. Um, it would be the same thing. The people who are responsible to tell them the truth about Scripture. And Jesus is still using the Pharisees as a backdrop to his message. They are all through this message. Don't do what you see religious leaders doing. What he's saying is, your clergy is wrong. Um, Jesus now focuses on how we see other people and our responsibility to love them as we love ourselves. Well, what was happening was... The job of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had pretty much become judging people. That was how they maintained their righteousness. They walked around judging everybody. And somehow that made you righteous. Uh, same thing happens in the church. Uh, let me say it plainly. There is no ministry of criticism. It doesn't exist. Um, it doesn't make God happy. Um, fault-finding for the sake of fault-finding because it makes you feel important to say somebody was wrong. Uh, that's not its purpose. 
That does not say we don't address wrong things, and Jesus will get to that. If you realize what he says after he says this, don't judge so that you might not be judged, later he's telling you exactly what you should judge. Um, you know, I can remember I was when I was younger complaining to my mother about a televangelist, and she told me not to judge, and I said, Mother, this is exactly what we should be judging. You know, this is the thing that we should be looking at, and he's wrong. And he's saying things that are wrong. Uh, she never did agree with me on that, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, Jesus now focused on how we see other people and our responsibilities to love ourselves. This is not saying we judge nothing in others. It's saying, don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Um, yeah, there are things that you need to deal with, uh, but don't be a hypocrite. Don't take it to the point where now you think you're righteous because you're judging somebody. Uh, and that goes to verses 4 and 5 up here. Don't nitpick others when you are in gross violation yourself. We judge to deal with the wrong, not to lift ourselves up by putting other people down. Uh, pointing out the sins of others is not a sign of righteousness. Let me say that again. Pointing out the sin of others is not a sign of righteousness. When you're pointing out the sin of others, it should be done exactly as Scripture says to you know, go to a brother in person. If that doesn't work, bring it to the elders in private. There, there's, there's a whole list of scripture telling us exactly how to do this, and we almost never do it that way. Why? Because we like doing it. Um, there is no ministry of criticism or complaining. God don't like ugly. That's something that you could put on your fridge. God don't like ugly. So if you're being ugly, and ugly I define as doing it to hurt other people or to lift yourself up. Uh, God don't like it, and what God don't like, he deals with. Dealing with the wrongs of others should be done as Scripture mandates, not as our pride prefers, because, it, well, God makes it clear, if you do that, I will do it with you. I mean, if you're okay with embarrassing people, with calling people out in public, with doing all that stuff, just realize, you're asking me to do it to you, is what God says. Note that the Pharisees were constantly judging Jesus. From this point on, it is a constant judgment of Jesus. Exactly what Jesus is talking about is what they will do until they kill him. No matter what good he did, they sought a fault in it. Uh, as Jesus later asked them, for which of the good deeds that I've done do you seek to kill me? Uh, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Uh, these are absolutes. These aren't uh, wishy-washy words. Will. Uh, two times. You will be judged, and it will be measured to you. This is simple justice. It's easy for everyone to understand. This is telling us that our faith at, fate at judgment is in our... <laughs> believe it or not... Part of how you're going to be judged by God is in your own hands. Um, yeah, the fact that you go to the judgment seat of Christ and you miss out on the great white throne judgment, that's grace. But there's going to come a time where even us are going to have to answer for what we've done. Uh, we're going to stand before, you know, it says everyone comes before Christ. Everyone. Well, you could make that stance in front of Christ as pleasant or as awkward as you want it to be, right here, right now. 
If we are harshly judged, it's because we judged harshly. Our undoing will be uh, our own doing. Our undoing will be our own doing, not God's temperament at the time. Uh, you know, I don't want to stand before God when He's mad. No, that's not how this works. Uh, what's going to What's coming with you is what you've done, and this is the important thing here. All we have to do to be judged softly is stop our pride from attacking others. Apparently, this is a lot to ask from us because what is in our hearts comes out of our mouths. Um, every time you do this, it should speak to you. Every time you realize you've done it, it should bring you to repentance. Uh, that's the only way to get out of it. Um, it's Especially if it's someone you don't like much. It's really easy to do. Uh, you're looking for something to, you know, to to rab into the side of their ribs. You know, it's just, and there's nothing there. Um, this requires sanctification from the Spirit and the Word. You know, if you're doing the three things you're supposed to be doing, this will happen. Uh, all we can do is see and confess the problem and rely, rely on Him to fix it. Here Jesus makes sure that we know that it's a problem that needs fixed. I mean, you can't get around this. It has to be dealt with. Um, and nobody back then was teaching it because they were all doing it. Um, he expounds on it. He says, verse 3, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own? Of course, all of us can understand uh, the difference between a speck and a log, what he's saying is, you, you're, you're nitpicking little stuff when you're much worse, is basically what he's saying. The base quality necessary for righteous judgment is humility. If you're going to judge another, if you're enjoying judging another, you're doing it wrong. If you can't wait to judge another person, you're doing it wrong. If you do it with complete humility and uh, just care for them, then you're probably doing it right. Because you realize what's in your own eye. And uh, you know what you're looking for is not to point out theirs, uh, but to help them. Uh, we tend to judge the sins of others in the worst possible light, and our own in the most favorable light. That is a well-known teaching uh, that's been taught just about by every uh, teacher of any salt. Uh, I have reasons, not excuses, why I sin, but that guy doesn't. You know, we need to let go of all that. We need almost to have someone who's worse than us. Our pride demands it. It allows us to believe we are righteous by comparison. There is no such thing as righteous by comparison. It doesn't exist. Um, repentance is the only thing that means anything. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. So what Jesus is saying, you're wrong. Let me guide you to righteousness while I sin in a matter greater than yours, is what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is God sees this. God's well aware of what you're doing and he doesn't like it. Using the pretense of caring for another as an opportunity to lift yourself up feigning humility and actually putting forth pride god well as i said god don't like ugly and he deals with it your sin being known by man is not what makes it detestable you seeing it should make it detestable to you because with god's eyes it's always detestable 
Um, we like to use that word detestable with sin, for sins that, uh, and there's a few other words that really give you a feel for how God feels about sin. And we like to attach those words to certain sins. And the truth is they're all that. Um, every one of them. But if it, if there's a scripture that attaches a word like this or another word, uh, that just as strong to a particular sin, we go, aha, well, at least I'm not doing that. Them people are they're they're messed up. Uh, that that's not how it is. So then Jesus says, goes right to the point, and he uses the word that is commonly used here and part of this message: "You hypocrite." <laughs> so he gives a nice little teaching, and then he just bam, uh, right between the eyes, "You hypocrite." First, take the log out of your own eye, and I don't know who he's looking at when he says this. But if the scribes and Pharisees are still around, I'm assuming he's casting a gaze that way to clearly <laughs> take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Then you will see clearly. Once you deal with your own sin, you can help somebody with theirs. Actually help them. Help, actually take it out of their eyes. You know, I, I saw something today about the, uh, the hearing for the new Supreme Court justice. And I'm not getting into that, you know... I, We'll let God handle that. Um, it had, as always, since the last five or six or seven justice nominations, it turned into a circus. It's turned into a bit of a pedestal where you just make these talking points. And one of the Rep one of the Republican uh, congressmen said uh, something about something about let's stop the jackassery here where we're just posturing and let's actually deal with what this woman is doing here. And uh, it's almost like what Jesus is saying here. Just knock it off. I, God knows what you're doing, man. You know, everybody sees what you're doing. What God is saying is, I know what you're doing. You think it's going to fly with me? If God is calling you a hypocrite, take it seriously. I mean, you are if he's calling you a hypocrite. Now, this is the fourth time in this sermon that Jesus uses the term hypocrite. It is a theme we should all be aware of, especially when we deal with the fellowship and of our spiritual presentation to the church and to the world. Remember, this message is largely directed at our spiritual leadership. So, once again, God's first real message to human beings in a couple hundred years, and hypocrite is a big word. Don't worry, and hypocrites are the big themes here. Uh, the term hypocrite or a term like it is used 15 times by Matthew. So Matthew got it. Uh, Jack Wellman wrote, Truth without obedience is hypocrisy. Obedience without truth is legalism. <laughs> he let that one sink in for a little bit. Uh, the Pharisees did both of these things. So the point is, what Jesus is saying is, don't be a Pharisee. Don't do what they're doing. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe there are too many practitioners in the church who are not believers. Which is pretty much what Jesus is saying. These people who are religious leaders, they don't know God. They're not doing the things that God... They're hypocrites. Matthew Henry wrote, It's common for those who are the farthest from God to boast themselves most of their being near to the church. Farthest from God being part of the function of the church. Matthew 15, 7, 9. You hypocrites, there goes Jesus once again. 
Rightly did Isaiah the prophet did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but with their hearts are far away from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That's still going on. Uh, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Teaching what they want to happen as the will of God. Uh, the danger in this. And the word that Jesus uses for that is hypocrites. Romans 1.32 through 2.5 And although they knew the ordinance of God, the law of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is, once again, talking about religious leaders. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in the way which you judge another, you condemn yourself, which is what Jesus just said about, you know, you will be used by the same measure. This is Paul taking what he said and applying it to the church. Uh, for which you, for you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same thing. You have a log in your eye and you're pointing out the speck in somebody else's. And we know the judgment of God righteously falls upon those who practice such things. In other words, what he says, you know you're going to have to answer for this. It's going to happen. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same things yourself, when you're a hypocrite, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What he's saying is you got it all wrong. You think this gives you license to sin. The patience of God gives you license to gives you time to repent. That's what the patience of God is about. The fact that God hasn't struck you dead isn't a sign that you can keep doing what you're doing. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. <laughs> There's a day of wrath that's out there that is coming. You know, once again, I reminded you, I think a couple weeks ago, I said, this, man, don't miss out on all the stuff that Jesus is saying here about judgment. It's real. It matters. Uh, and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, the righteous judgment, his judgment will be right. It demands to be right. The right is out there demanding to be demanding for judgment to happen. And what does he say about those that love the Lord? Uh, they pass out of judgment. So even we couldn't stand in judgment. He has to take us out of it. We have to get out of the line. Uh, Jesus Christ stands where I should stand when judgment comes. And Jesus said he's mine. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23. Uh, 23 to 33. Hypocrites. <laughs> you wonder why they killed him. For you tithe the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglect, without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain the gnat and swallow the camel. <laughs> Yeah, it's a vivid picture. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the outside of the cup of the dish, 
so that the outside of it may be come out clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like the whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear right, appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawless. In other words, it doesn't matter how you appear to men, God knows. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, once again, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we'd have been alive in the days of our father, we would not have been partner with them in the shedding of the bloods of the prophets. So Jesus says, so you are testifying against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Yes, wow, right there. Um, you know, he's saying, you know, well, if we'd have been around, if we'd have been the Pharisees back then, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. They're going to kill Jesus. And Jesus knows that. I mean, they're saying, we wouldn't have done that. They're going to kill God. You know, the guy who all the, all the prophets talked about is here, and they're going to kill him. He knows this. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, Therefore put aside all malice. Here's what we should do. Put aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all sorts of slander, like newborn babes longing for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, the milk of the word, you may grow in respect to salvation, so that you can become more than what you were, that you move forward in your faith. What does it say? You know, um, that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow. Don't sit there and decline. Don't just sit there and fester. Grow. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Verse 6. And this one's interesting. Uh, out of all this, then he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine. Uh, they will trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Here Jesus takes us from don't be a hypocrite to don't be dumb. Because hypocrites are out there, know who they are, and deal with them as they should be dealt. It's not ours to bring uh, people to the table. It's ours to live as we should and be a light that draws them to Christ. What is holy is defined by scripture. You won't take the sacrifice from the temple, what the allusion here, what he's alluding to, from the temple and give it to dogs. Uh, what was meant for God? Pearls are symbolic of precious truth, a pearl of knowledge. One could be overly zealous in pursuing souls and going where we're not told to go, trying to do something for God instead of God doing something through you. Unless God lays the foundation, there is nothing to build on. So don't waste your time trying to build. If God calls you to do something, do it. Uh, pray more, say less, is generally the uh, idea here. Scripture tells us that when someone asks us, when someone asks us where our hope comes from, we're ready to tell them. Never try to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and it annoys the pig. You should always think of that whenever you come to this. And don't forget that when that is said, who he's been addressing, 
the Pharisees are the focal point of this message. This is most likely, regard, other than the broad truth that comes with it, um, don't go into danger unless God sends you into danger. I mean, I wouldn't advise you to go into the biker bar and tell them all they're sinners and they're all going to hell if they don't repent, unless God tells you to do that. Um, this may, this is also most likely a dig straight at the scribes and Pharisees also. Um, pulpit commentary says, The clause expresses the personal enmity which those who willfully reject the gospel often feel towards those who had offered it to them. <laughs> In other words, uh, you're trying to teach a pig to sing. Uh, it might be th uh, thought difficult to carry out this command, as it's evident that we cannot know beforehand who will accept the gospel or who will not. But in cases where the character of the person is not known, example as when St. Paul preached at Athens, the command does not apply. Ardard supposes the case where the character is apparent. In other words, you know that you're casting a pearl you know, to the swine. First uh, Timothy 5.24 said, The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sin follows after them. Know that. Let God do the work. Uh, let him do what he needs to do. Um, I didn't see... Let's... I can't just leave this here. Um, there's not a whole lot of effort by Jesus Christ to bring the scribes and Pharisees to repentance. You don't see a lot of message where he's trying to uh, call them hither. You know, a shepherd calling his sheep back. Um, he's not casting the pearls. Well, he knows. It's just specific Pharisees, such as Nicodemus. And he, and he knows who each one of them is. He knows who's hearing what's being said. He, and you notice people like Nicodemus, he takes the time to talk to them personally. Privately. Privately. He talks to them right. as an individual, not as a scribe and a Pharisee. You know, and it's a tough one. But we can't ever lose sight that he loves all of them. He knows what he's doing, but he's telling us, let me do it. You stop. You know, you it's not your job to do all this for everybody. You do what I tell you to do. But this is a general uh, way of life that we should accept. Now, there may be specific times when God tells you to do something, you do it, you pay the price. Uh, Levit Leviticus twenty-two fifteen through 16, They shall not profane the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they offer to the Lord. This is talking about uh, the things that you offer to God, offering that should go to God or being given to someone else. And so cause them to bear punishment for the guilt by eating their holy gifts, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Uh, Proverbs 9, 7 through 8, He who corrects scoffers gets dishonor for himself. It's a truth. Jesus is just telling you a truth here. A truth of Proverbs. And he who reproves the wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he'll love you. It's assuming you know the difference between a scoffer and a wise man. Uh, dogs is a metaphor. Beware of dogs. Uh, beware of evil workers. From Philippians 3.2. Beware of the false circumcision. Those things are all linked together. 
Uh, of course, Matthew fifteen twenty four through 28. But he answered them and said, I sent only the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is saying what his mission is. Let us not forget this. Everything Jesus is saying, he is saying to Israel at this point in time. It later gets applied to us. He had a guy named Paul who he set aside to come talk to us. But she, this is the uh, Gentile woman, came and bowed down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not good to take the, the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from a master's table. Now that sounds really harsh, but Jesus knows her heart. He's already ready to help her. Jesus said to her, oh woman, your faith is great. And that's, in the kingdom of God, faith is the commodity. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Last one on this topic. Revelations 22, 14 through 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates of the city. Washing your robes can be connected to repentance because outside the city are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. So when he uses the word dogs, he knows exactly what he's saying. He knows what scripture says. And we will wrap up there at verse 7, I believe that was. Any questions or comments or anything interesting? 7-7, seven, seven, right? There we go. If not, let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. As always, Lord, uh, we just ask you to let that word find a home in our heart and change us so that we could be part of the light, not part of the darkness in this world, so that we could be what you want us to be. And whatever's not from you, Lord, just let it go its own way. And I ask you to watch over my brothers and sisters, make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate, and help them to glorify your name in what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen.